service this morning, we want to begin our worship with hymn number 73. We'll stand to worship, Holy Savior, we adore Thee. Let's praise God with all our hearts this morning. And we want to get a hold of this first verse again because I feel that maybe we just didn't quite grab the tune that was going with the words. And these words are so precious to us. Let's praise God again with this opening verse. Well, as we all know, the weekend that is upon us is called Labor Day, and it certainly is a time to get one of the, well, not the last long weekend of the year, but one before the commencement of our fall program, and certainly as many people head back to their schooling and all the occupations with that, we've been asking prayer for our own school for our staff members and for our students and parents as we begin again the program on Tuesday. 
But I want us to think today, especially in our opening prayer, and asking for the Lord to bless all of our boys and girls that are going back to school, whether it's Whitfield or to another school or maybe homeschooling. It's important for us to, as a congregation, come together and support our young people and let them know that we are with them 100% and we want to know God's blessing on them. But not just the youngest children. There are every age in between, some going into high school for the first time, some in their 12th year of high school beginning now, and they will be looking at graduation this year and then setting out into university. But then there are some who have just graduated 12 in June, and now they're going to be setting out into their university schooling, or you're going back to some vocation of university. And all these things are important because we know how much, how essential it is for the protection of the Lord, the hovering of the Spirit of God around all of our youth. And so let's make that a very important part of our prayer today. Let's bow before the Lord. Father, as we come to a new day and another Lord's Day, this first day of the week, we ask, Father, for Your blessing and presence. Each one of us would be very conscious of the Spirit's help We're thankful for the health that allows us to be here and for the grace that has brought us from many different circumstances. But Lord, we are given one more opportunity, one more day in the house of God with Your people. And dear Father, we are asking that we would be brought in with the right frame and spirit of mind and heart and that we be ready to worship and ready to receive blessing from the Word Father, that You would pour out Your Spirit upon each of us in this work and ministry. And dear God, that all of us would know that daily walking with our Lord, that we would experience that closer fellowship in mind and spirit and heart and in the outworking of all of the day's responsibilities. Dear God, go in front of us, we ask. Let us not stray off into bypath meadow, Keep us on the straight and narrow. And when the way becomes hard, crooked, and difficult, Lord, we would pray, make the crooked ways straight and the rough places plain. Let us always see in front of us and keep our eyes upon the Savior. Dear Father, we are asking today for Your hand of blessing upon those who are grieving. We pray for Mrs. Borag Cherry today, we ask for blessing upon her and the loss of her dear husband. Comfort her, bless her, and may even the family members out of a situation like this be drawn toward the Savior. Remember others in our own congregation who have lost loved ones. Father, support and strengthen and comfort them in this time of their need. Dear Father, We want today to specifically commit the boys and girls of our congregation into Your hand. We ask for Your blessing upon them 
as many are perhaps nervous about going to the next grade of school, not knowing what it will mean and how they'll be able to cope with it all. I pray your blessing to be upon them from the youngest age. Father, we ask for our young teenagers as they are progressing into high school or coming to their grade 12 year. Father, we ask for your hand and your Spirit's guidance upon their lives and to show them your mind and will. And Father, teach them what it means to depend upon the Lord and to call out in every time of need and to set their lives on the altar a sacrifice for service, seeking your mind and will for their future. We pray for the graduates of our school, Whitfield. We ask for blessing upon those who are going into university. Father, it is a hard day in which we are living in, and there is much opposition to the gospel, and there are many enemies that would come to try to undermine the faith of our young men and young women. We pray for your Spirit's guidance and blessing and direction upon them. Keep them from being swallowed up by the world. Keep them, O God, from succumbing to temptations. And I pray that when the devil would place doubts in their mind about the reality of God, the reality of the Scripture, that you would come again, Father, with power and confirmation in the foundation of principles of things that they have learned and been taught from the Scripture. Father, we commit all our youth, our young adults, into your hand, those that are seeking perhaps direction for a job, vocation, career, those that are seeking for a mate in life. Dear Lord, go in front and help and bless and answer all of these prayers. We ask, Father, for your blessing upon our nation, for your hand to be upon us to be a witness in our nation, that as we want our congregation to multiply and grow and have our testimony reverberating across city, province, and nation, so, Lord, we are very, very mindful of the attack of the and how we must be strengthened with might in the inner man and to know that reviving, the anointing of the Lord upon us. Father, we cannot run this race of our own power. We cannot do it by our own ability. Lord, we come again to depend and to leave ourselves on that altar of sacrifice for service and pray that we will be made willing in the day of your power. Lord, we must learn again and again, it is not by might nor by spirit, but by my power, saith the Lord. And teach us to see this applied in all of our lives. Bless our elders and our deacons as we again begin the program of meeting and coming together for taking care of all the business and ministry that goes on here and in Whitfield. Father, pour out your Spirit upon all these men and their families.
and keep each one of us from the devil's temptations. Keep us, we pray, from going astray in any area. And Lord, renew our hearts, we pray, in the cause, in the calling, in the great work that You have established here. Bless, we pray, all of our churches. Remember our local churches. We pray for the congregation in Berry. We ask for the church in Fredericton. We pray, O God, for Calgary and for Penticton and Prince George and Cloverdale. Remember all of these ministries and bless each one of them in our own nation. Hear our prayer today. Continue with us now in our worship. We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please turn to Psalm 121, and we will stand, please, again as we worship the Lord. Psalm 121. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. Each time we read this portion of Scripture and remember, remind you about the word that is used here, charity, throughout this portion of the word. It is the original word agape. Many times, most times I should say in the New Testament, the word agape is translated love. And so as we read through this portion of the Word of God today, we will use the word love. The Apostle says that though I speak with the tongues of men, and of angels, and have not love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity, love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but then when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. May God bless His own precious Word to our hearts today as we have read. I want to pass on our condolences to a dear godly sister in the Lord from our Port Hope congregation, Mrs. Morag Cherry. We shared with you a few weeks ago that her dear husband, Ross, well, he had been prayed for for all the life of this dear lady, Morag, and he was unsaved. And he had heard the gospel many times, been witness to, oh, countless times, and just about two weeks ago, Ross Cherry professed faith in Christ as his own Savior. He was in the hospital. He was not well. He knew his end was coming. And he had time. And the Lord gave him that very special opportunity of time. And the grace of God and the Spirit of the Lord brought him to faith in Christ. His time was not long on the earth, but there was, by the testimony of his wife and others who visited Reverend Cranston many times, that there was evidence of a change in his heart, of the joy and the peace of God in his own soul. And so that is a blessed thing. But he went home to be with the Lord on Friday, 
And we, I talked with uh, our sister Morag this morning and told her that we would be praying for her. And uh, she was very thankful for that and wanted to express thanks to the congregation and those of you who knew her and were praying with rejoicing over the salvation of her husband. So remember that the funeral will be this Wednesday and it will be in Coburg. Also, please continue to hold up uh, the Kellys in your prayer in British Columbia and also Reverend John Bodner as he is recuperating from cancer surgery and the treatment that he has gone through. Word of thanks to the men who came last Tuesday to the church. It was a, a rainy day, and so we wasn't sure whether the outreach, or pardon me, the, uh, the grounds cleanup would carry on. But as men were here, and we appreciate that help, and you can see that there has been a lot of work done in preparation for the school opening, and we much appreciate that. Also, word of thanks to our brother James, sister Diana Fraser, or they, the big flower pots that you see at the front of the church coming in, they're responsible for that, and we are greatly indebted to them and appreciate that. As you can see, the communion table is set before us, and we will be at the end of our service this morning waiting around uh, this table in communion. It's for the Lord's people. You do not have to be a member of this congregation to participate with us. But the requirement of Scripture is that you need to be born again by the Spirit of God. You need to know that you are saved by the Lord's grace. And if you know that, then you are welcome to have communion with us today. Remember, please, the pre-service prayer time at 5.50 and our evening service tonight at 6.30. And Wednesday evening, our Bible study and prayer, 7.30. And on Thursday night... We'll be meeting with our session meeting at 6 p.m., and that will be an in-person meeting at this point, and it's an opportunity for the elders to get together and pray, specifically about the fall program of work, the congregation, and have some discussion getting caught up on things from over the summertime. A couple of advance announcements, and one of them has to do with uh, something that's new or being recommenced, I should say, and that's our young adult choir. I'm excited about this and encouraged by those who have come forward and wanting to get this started again. And so next Lord's Day evening after the service, there will be a practice for the young adult choir, and that is open to young people and uh, young adults. You are welcome to be a part of that. Don't stay behind don't uh, feel you're not involved or want to be included. Uh, come along and be a part of this very good ministry. On September the 15th will be our first session and board meeting. So it's not this Thursday, but the next one. So please, as I mentioned to you, be in prayer for our elders and our deacons. Now, one very important announcement I want to leave with you, and uh, we are excited about this. But we're having some fall meetings, a weekend of meetings to encourage believers. And uh, we have invited the Reverend Ryan McKee. Uh, he is from Northern Ireland, from Muckrafelt. He was actually here last year for the Port Hope services, and we enjoyed him here in our church. And so we've invited our brother to come back for a weekend of meetings. That will be the last full weekend of September. And so we're going to have Friday evening meetings, 
We're going to have a Saturday evening dinner in the church, and that will be catered. And uh, also then uh, the Saturday night will be a meeting with the women. His wife will be taking that one, and the men will be uh, ministered to by Reverend McKee. And then he'll be with us the Lord's Day, both services. And then on Monday night, we want to have a youth rally, a youth meeting, and uh, all the details of that we'll give you in more detail. I know you can't capture everything now, but we will certainly just wanted you to be in prayer for this weekend of services. We're looking forward to it and pray for our brother and his wife as they come over and be with us for that time. Let's sing again, please, to the Lord's praise, number 482. 482, remaining seated while we sing, and make this, please, a prayer of your heart. I want, dear Lord, a heart that's true and clean. Let's stand, please, for the final verse, and it says, I want, dear Lord, a soul on fire for Thee. What does that mean? It means that we want to know that personal reviving by the Spirit of God to our hearts. We all need that, and we certainly need it as we're setting out on the fall program of work and ministry. The summer has ended. It is finished. I hate to have to say that to you, but it is done. Starting of September now, we will still enjoy the fading daylight hours of the sunshine and some of the nicest weather in September. We know that. But we want to be energized by the Lord's Spirit. We want to know His power working through us. And that's a good prayer that a soul would be on fire for Him. Let's sing this final verse. It's good singing and good to praise God with these precious words. Turn with me now to John chapter 4, 15. 
John chapter 15. We're going to read from verse 12. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If he were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Please join with me in prayer for the Lord's help. Our Father, as we have the Word open now, our prayer, very simple, very direct, Lord, take these words, and write them on our minds. We have read them many times before. Perhaps some know them by heart. But I pray that new light and new application by the Spirit would come to all our hearts. I pray for help today as your servant that I might speak the Word of God faithfully and with the power of the Spirit of God let man be hidden behind the cross of Christ that none will be seen but Jesus only. Bless us now. Hear our prayer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In our consideration of John 15 and these final words, the 
final sermon of our Lord and Savior to His disciples, we have thought about six graces that flow from abiding in our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of salvation, that we have been saved from our sin. The grace of His words abiding in us, that without the Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. We are powerless spiritually without Him. That we will, by His grace, produce fruit for His kingdom. And we also learn that the grace of our praying, our prayers will be answered as we offer them and come to our Father through Christ's merit, through His name, and based upon His work. And this one we considered at the end of our message last Lord's Day, that our joy may be full. One dear lady at the end of the service last Lord's Day, she said, I have a great struggle with the joy of the Lord in these past months. And it's a battle sometimes, isn't it? She's not alone, and I told her, I know exactly what you're feeling, because I, I feel the very same thing at times. But what we have to be careful to do is define the joy that we are talking about. And it's not the joy of the world. It's not the type of joy that's just laughing one moment and smiling from ear to ear the next moment. That's not the type of joy that the Bible talks about. No, it's the joy of Christ deep down in your soul. It's the knowledge that your sins have been forgiven. It's the knowledge that you know you're going to be with Him forevermore. And yes, there will be times when the radiance of that joy, as it did for Daniel in his day, the radiance of the joy and presence of Christ will be seen in your life. The light of God on us, the enlightenment that comes through the Scripture in our lives. But yes, the burdens at times will be very, very heavy. And yet, the joy of the Lord in us is that which He has promised will be to the full. As we consider part three of abiding in Christ this morning, I want you to think with me as we read in verse 12 that abiding in the Lord, it means that we will love one another. Back in March of this year, we looked at chapter 13 of John and verse 34, and it was the first of the love commandments that our Lord spoke. At that time, He introduced this by saying, a new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another. And we thought about what that meant being a new commandment. Does that mean that to love each other was not taught in the Old Testament? Well, we went through some details to show, no, it exactly was taught in the Old Testament. It was taught that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. It was taught that we were to express compassion and have that love of God. But the fact of its newness 
we observe was in the perfect example of the humanity of Christ on earth, the example of our Lord Jesus. We also thought about the extent of how that love would be spread across the world to every nation and tongue and tribe and people through the gospel. And we also thought about the evidence that would be seen and observed in our lives being changed men and women. If we're changed by the gospel, then it's going to be evident that this new commandment of the new grace and the new change in us, it's going to be seen by others. And so our testimony, we hope, will be infectious in the most positive way. Now in chapter 15, verse 12, the same commandment is reiterated. But this time he does not say. It's a new commandment. And you know what strikes me as I consider this, and I have prayed and wrestled over these words extensively, it comes to us as a command. It's the first thing that is gripping to us. Jesus said, this is my commandment. You know, we often think about love as an emotion stirred by some kind of action or maybe romantic feelings. And while these emotions may be present, there is something that is much deeper here. There is something that is much more far-reaching when we are commanded to love. It strikes us strange that such a command would be given for something that is rather elusive to, to define. But does not this force us, brothers and sisters today, it really forces us to think more carefully to really mine down in the depths of Scripture what kind of love is being spoken of. The context shows us that while the Christian is to have love for people in general, that the Lord's words are directed toward His people. John 13 tells us that it's one of the key evidences that we are Christians if we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, a command from God, it is to be obeyed. Whether it's easy or hard, it does not see these commandments. It does not see color. It doesn't see nationality. It doesn't see race. It does not see economic standing. It does not discriminate between the weak and the strong. It doesn't discriminate between those who are joyful and some that are melancholy. It doesn't discriminate between the pretty and maybe we could say the not-so-pretty. A command. It means that its obedience will come from our will and not from our emotion. 
Emotions are those things that can fluctuate so easily. We feel good, emotions are high. We have a bad day, emotions are low. Get depressed sometimes. This type of love and the command that we must grasp this morning, it's not based on our emotions. Because it will falter and fail depending on the climate. This is something that is of the will. We are not to love someone because we feel good about it. We are to love in response to what God requires of us. Now we begin to see how difficult a command like this will be to keep. But as we think about it, we have to be sure that it's not done out of just pure duty. When we talk about something that comes from our will, from our consciousness, from that which motivates us, it's not to be done just out of a pure duty. But I say this rather. It will flow from the grace of God And it will be in a response to the glory of God that has been given to us and the graces of the Lord that we might show forth His glory. Our obedience to love one another is the outgrowth of the love that God and Christ have shown toward us. And our Lord Jesus, the greatest example of Him giving Himself for us and our desire to faithfully abide in His Word and follow His Word. As David said in Psalm 119, how I love Thy law. It is my meditation all the day. And if David could say he loved the law of God, the Word of the Lord, it's because the Word of God showed him and revealed to him the God of the Word. And dear friends, today, that is how and through the mechanism that we are to love one another. Now, when our Lord Jesus said, this is my commandment, it's in singular. It's not plural. It implies such a prominent place, such an exalted status that it summarizes all other commandments. The Lord was asked by the Pharisees about the the first and greatest commandments, and our Savior replied to to them, the first and great commandment is this, that we should love the Lord our God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. But then our Savior went on and answered something that was not part of the question. He said in the second commandment that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. And He said, upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And it summarizes the foundation of it is love. This is not easy, friends. 
And anyone who thinks it an easy commandment, I believe, does not know the weight of the teaching that is behind this. It is a command that the Lord has given to us. And as we know, commands from God can only be fulfilled and kept by the grace that has been given to us by the Lord's Spirit. And when the Spirit of God dwells in your heart by faith, when you know you have been born again of the Spirit of God, then we are enabled, we are empowered to keep the commandments and the law of God. And it's no longer, thou shalt keep, but now it is, thou shalt keep the Word and the commands that I have given. But I want you to notice not just that it is a command. Surely we have to understand it is far-reaching. Where does it start? Well, we'd have to say it's got to start within the family. I mean, if you are a saved person, then those who are closest to you are going to see the evidence of that salvation. And so within the family, that's where it must begin. But we also admit and know that sometimes within the family, that's the very hardest place because Satan's attack against the family is intensified always. And so the commandment comes from the Scripture, husbands, love your wives. If it stopped there, you might say, well, okay, we can probably try to get a hold of that one. Husbands, love your wives. But it doesn't stop there. It says, as Christ also loved the church. Now, at this point in the message, uh, men, you might be getting an elbow in the side or else there would be some note-taking that would be taken down for later references uh, to be sure that you didn't miss that one. You weren't sleeping in that part of the service, that you're wide awake. And uh, wives are very happy to hear a message like that and that word. Husbands are commanded to love, commanded to cherish their wives. And wives to love, to respect, to submit to their own husbands. But how can this be done? How can a man love his wife as Christ loved His church? On the surface, it seems an impossibility. But yet we also know that God does not give us commands that are impossible for us to even contemplate or pray them into our lives and our hearts. What type of love is this that Christ loved His church? It is selfless love. It is devoted love. It is unconditional love. And it is sacrificial love. And so we get maybe a grasping of what type of love we're talking about. 
when we are commanded to love within the family and the closest human relationship that is possible upon earth between a man and a woman being united in in marriage, this relationship that is so close and the expression and command to love if it is done in selfless, devoted, unconditional, sacrificial way, we're beginning to enter into what it means to love as Christ loved the church. Now, you and I both know, we all know, men, that that will never be possible for us to do it to that full, perfect extent. But the command has been given, and the goal has been set, and therefore we must strive to that end. And I will confess to you the weakness and the failure that I have made in my own life regarding fulfilling these things. Is it not, though, the cause of many broken relationships when this command has been set aside? How many, could we ask, relationships could have been salvaged, could have been kept afloat if a husband would love his wife the way Christ loved the church? Oh, I'm not here to point fingers or blame at anyone because I know there are some circumstances where, well, the relationship would break down Maybe the wife has never responded and would not respond and refused because she was determined to go her own way. Or vice versa in in whatever the relationship might be. But much grace is needed here. And I would say, men, much direct prayer. And wives, you're not outside, of course, of praying on this matter. Because as your hearts would be united in the relationship of a marriage, therefore the prayer that should be of binding together of heart and soul and spirit in the Gospel, I mean, we are both brothers and sisters in Christ. But in this unique relationship of being husband and wife, there is something more. And God has set this in the family as something that is vital. Because if we are not engaged in obeying this commandment, you can be certain the devil will have the wedge and the sledgehammer and he will be hammering those wedges in between. Husband and wife. So this is a prayer that is important for us all to pray that God for His glory and for the testimony of His church, and for the testimony to the world of how a family should be operating. We must be vigilant, all of us. We must be active in our own prayer and fellowship with God. We must be seeking the Lord with all our being that God will preserve our families and help us in these times. For there are many challenges and attacks. They come from the outside. Sometimes they come from the inside. Maybe it's financial. Maybe there's problems there. It could be a host of things, and you all know them and many more. 
Ah, but as we give ourselves to the Lord, we pray that He will teach us what it means because this command of Christ, if it starts anywhere, it must start in the family. But it develops further into the true church. It starts in our local fellowship. Apart from gospel grace, we are all very unlovely people. That may be putting it mildly. If the surface is torn off, looking a little bit on the inside, the ugliness of self is not far away. And so in family relationships, as it must be worked upon and effort must be put in to cultivate those relationships, so it is true for the local church. We must actively pursue this commandment to love one another. It's not something that will just happen. Because the obedience of commandments don't just happen. They have got to be pursued. They have got to be prayed over. They have got to be earnestly obeyed. Yes, friends, in the local church. And when we find this a challenge, and there will be times where, look, personalities might be different between people. And some personalities just don't always go together. But the grace of God is that which can overcome personality differences. And our own inconsistencies. And we must make the effort and pray over that God would give to all of us a loving spirit and to love those who we find unlovely. To really pray over that brother or sister. You say, man, I just can't seem to get along with that person or I just don't really like the way they behave. You take it to the Lord in prayer specifically for that brother and sister. And when we do, why, you will find the Lord will answer that prayer because it is the will of God that there is unity and harmony in His work. And if we're going to go forward and see the Lord magnified and honored through us, we don't want bitter squabbling. We don't want roots of bitterness springing up. No, no. We want unity and peace and the bond of peace by the Spirit of the Lord. Well, of course, it extends not just in the family and in our own church and congregation, but it goes out beyond our walls to other believers, other congregations, other denominations. And does it also not extend to our neighbors, to our friends? And what did the Lord Jesus say to our enemies? Certainly the love of God and the love of Christ must be seen emanating from us to those who are our, our direct enemies. What did the Lord say in the Sermon on the Mount about those that will persecute us and despitefully use us? Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Ah, friends, we need much of the grace of God in, in these areas. So it is a command. It's far-reaching. But I would say this, it's not an excuse to compromise God's Word. The love that God calls every Christian to live out toward other believers, it is a love that has a base and a foundation. And that foundation is the Word of God. 
making excuses for disobedience or direct compromise of the Bible, it does not fall under the category of love. In fact, I would say that's very often false love, or it's pseudo-grace. A lot of times people speak about grace, and we have to be gracious to others, and of course we have to be gracious to others, always. But there's a time when there is a stand that must be taken for the truth of God's Word, and to love those who are breaking the Word of God or disobeying the truth, love toward them will be to lovingly, carefully explain, show, teach, admonish in the Spirit of Christ. The Apostle speaks about this word, speaking the truth in love. And then he said to the Corinthians, he said, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Uh, There are times when no matter what you do, you won't gain friends. But faithfulness to the Word of God is central here. And true love to a brother or sister, true love is going to be to be faithful to God first and then showing them how they are to behave. Now, it doesn't mean that we are always right. It doesn't mean that we're up here and everybody else is down here. No, but it does mean that we carefully and graciously and kindly, not with a superiority attitude thinking we are holier than you are. No, it's going to be with the mind of Christ. And you know, so often those problem areas or those difficulties, they must be prayed over first. And you would take that to the Lord and say, Father, please open the heart, open the mind, open the eyes of brother or sister here or someone you come in contact with. And you take it to the Lord in prayer and then be praying that the Lord will open a door of opportunity for you to speak to them or communicate in some way. And if that is done and the Lord opens that door, then it's the Spirit of God And that way will be paved for you. And there will be good that will come of it. Very often, fellow believers may not be aware at all that uh, there is something amiss. And that quiet, gentle word, that encouragement along the way, might be all that's needed. And it will be the winning, the winning of a brother or sister in Christ. Let us all pray not just for others, but to pray about our own blind spots. The areas in our life where we don't see it. And maybe a brother or sister is going to come to us and say, have you thought about this? Have you considered this area? No, I haven't. Take it graciously and pray about the matter yourself. And there will be a growing of the unity of the Spirit. There will be peace in the body of Christ, and there will be a growth in the things of the Lord. So we've been thinking for a length of time on this great commandment to love one another, and so much more could be said. But I want to move on to the next part of our text and what it means to abide in the Lord, to have the friendship of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, he said, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. 
Henceforth I call you not servants. The word is slave, doulos. I call you not slaves, for the slave knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. There's no greater friendship, Jesus said, than if a person would lay down their life for their friends. That's the highest sacrifice that could be paid. And it's the highest evidence of a degree of love according to the Lord. Now keep in mind that this was spoken a matter of hours before Jesus would be led to be crucified. And He would give Himself an offering and a sacrifice for sinners. The model of friendship that Christ displayed is as deep, as vast as the Word can go. The friendship of Christ to us is by far a greater expression and example of friendship than we could ever show. And of all the descriptions of a true friend from loyalty to companionship to support and honest correction, someone who is with you through good times and bad, ready to listen, to give advice, there is no greater comfort than to know that Christ Jesus is your friend. Is He your friend today? Do you know Him? Do you love Him? He is always with us. He is always ready to hear our concern and to help in every time of need. He is the truest of friends. But where, where did this friendship begin? Well, it did not begin with us. Ah, look what it says in verse number 16. Jesus said, Ye have not chosen Me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in My name, I will give it to you. Oh, there's another one of those asking of the Father in the name of Christ, and He will grant that to you. How did all this begin? Well, it was not with us because we are from our birth the enemies of God, totally depraved, full of sin and not desiring God, not desiring the gift of salvation, but determined to go our own way. And what way was that? The way ultimately to hell. The Lord said, you've not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Now we know from the context of this that he was directing his comments to the disciples. They were the eleven in that room. He has ordained them. He has called them to go and preach the gospel. But without, without question, the broader application of this and these words, it encompasses the entire church. For from the initial spreading of the gospel through all Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then in the generations and centuries that have gone down from then, the believers that have been saved and have spread the Word, the growth of the Gospel and the Kingdom of Christ has gone to every nation and people and language and tongue. Yes, that work that was commenced 
here. It will not be finished and concluded until the end of time. And therefore, the electing grace of God, as Jesus said, you have not chosen me, he said, but I have chosen you. And the electing grace of God, it's something of the marvel of what He has done for us because we are so unworthy. We haven't done anything to merit our salvation. And the Lord has given to us that great gift. He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. And Christ at a point of time came and went to the cross to die in our place. It's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant relationship that we have. For John 6.37 says, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. My dear friends, today, do you know the Lord Jesus as your own? If you do, you will write that testimony all of grace and not of self. We will see ourselves as chosen in the Lord from before the foundations of the world. And we have this great comfort of the abiding presence of the Savior with us, His everlasting friendship. He's called us not slaves or servants, but friends. Now we know that we are the servants of the Lord. We know that we are willingly His bond slaves. For He has possessed us from the slave market of sin, as so often we call it. And He has brought us to make us His children, sons and daughters of the Most High God. We've been adopted into His kingdom. We know Him. We love Him. We belong to Him today. But the Savior uses this illustration here to point out how close-knit that relationship of their friendship is. He said, I have told you all things. A master would never confide in a slave about all his financial dealings, about all the things that involve himself and his family. That wouldn't happen. Jesus said, this is how I am showing you all the Father has given to me. I'm giving to you. And I'm showing you all this to show you that you are now mine. And we have a relationship. And now you are heirs of my heavenly Father. And all that God has promised to give to me, I am giving to you. We are joint heirs with Christ. Ah, oh, my dear friends, this is a great heritage that we have. And this friendship, a friend that stays to us closer than any human relationship. Therefore, go to the Lord as your friend. Cast all your care upon Him as your friend. And you will find that He will never fail. He will never forsake. And the final thought today is this. That abiding in Christ means the hatred of the world toward us. That's not a nice thing to think about. But look at verse 18. If the world hate you, 
You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And the Lord further down talked about persecution. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So, abiding in Christ, don't be surprised when you get the rough end of the world's dealings. Hate is a very strong word. And we could say that no one in their right thinking wants to be hated. Some justify their hatred of others because of some crime or offense. But when Jesus said that the world hated Him, there was no just cause. What had the Lord done against the world? Well, He had done everything for the world. In fact, He created it. He gave us a beautiful world with all supply. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He causes the fields of the wicked to prosper and grow and bring forth fruit. And when man sinned, the Savior said, I will go and I will die for their salvation. And so the Lord Jesus Himself, there was no just cause for why the world would ever hate Him but they have. But man does not want to be called up for his sin. He does not want to be called to account. And his actions which are against a holy God, he will deny him. And he with oaths and curses will say, who is the Lord that I should obey him? No sinful man does not want that. Even though his next breath is held in the hand of God, the Lord warned that because the world hated Him, it would also hate you. If we were still of the world, then we would be accepted by the world. It's interesting, did you see in verse 19 that Jesus said, if ye were of the world, the world would love His own. It's kind of odd, isn't it? We're talking about the command of Jesus to love one another and the implications of that command. But now we find that there is an expression of love that is given in the world. But what's interesting here is that the word for love in verse 19 is the word phileo. And it's a word that means, yes, friendship or to be friend or to have someone in close association. Now, you, you can see that very clearly as defined by the world. Well, there can be friendship within the world, of course. There's friendship among criminals. There's friendship among those who are wicked in their devices. There's a friendship that is a close association. But the word phileo used here is different from the word used that Christ expressed that we would love one another. It's the word agape. It's the word that we already heard of in 1 Corinthians 13. It is described as the highest form of love. It's the love that God has in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. It's that expression of love that God has for us and that we are able to have toward Him. But the other association itself, filio is not a bad word but it's different. 
And we can understand how the world has its own attraction toward its own. You've met very many nice people, as I have. They're nice neighbors, good citizens, hardworking people, law-abiding for the most part. But when the gospel is pressed toward them, then you see a layer peeled off. Then you see the agitation or the bitterness or the resentment that comes up in the heart of an unbeliever when you press the gospel and say, repent of your sins and come to Christ for salvation. He will deliver you. What do you mean deliver me? From what? From your sin. I'm not, a, I'm not such a bad person. What are you talking about? Sin. And that's how it will go because ultimately the person does not see themselves as needing anything. They're not needing salvation from sin because they're not so bad. They exalt their own self-righteousness, rejecting God. And so John Newton in his hymn, What Think Ye of Christ is the Test? To try both your state and your scheme. You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of Him. It's very applicable. Because He is the the test case, the Lord Jesus. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's the promise. And this hatred of the world we should not be surprised at at all. But know that our Savior experienced much worse at the hands of wicked men. Can we rejoice when the world hates us? Yes, friends, there is a type of rejoicing. The apostles in the book of Acts, after they had been beaten and told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus and suffered at the hands of wicked men, what did they do? They went back to the church and they counted themselves thankful, a blessing, rejoicing that we were persecuted for the name of Christ. May the Lord give us that spirit because we want to be the friend of the Savior. And in that friendship that is close and tight and real, there's going to be a time where the world will turn much against us. In a gospel land, in the Western world, turning much against the gospel we know, but the foundation of our countries that were built upon gospel standards and truth and society developing in that way, there was not to the same degree as there would be in heathen nations where if you define yourself as a Christian, you're under the threat of death in Islamic countries today. We have not known that here in our land yet. But dear friends, we know that the day may be coming And those that name the name of Christ, we must be prepared and pray for the grace of the Lord to strengthen us and to realize that the world is not our friend. Do not be surprised when we are spoken ill against, but rather rejoice that our names are written in heaven. And that's our hope and our joy today. Friend, if you do not know the Lord, If you're here in the building, if you're watching online today, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's bow, please, in prayer.
Father, we pray today that as the Word has gone out, that You would bless that Word. We pray that spoken in weakness, yet it can be used by the Spirit powerfully. And so, Lord, hear us and help us. Grant to us now as we settle ourselves, making preparation for the table, we would come to it with joy and peace. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We will sing a hymn to close this service, number 407. Behold what love. If you're not able to stay for communion, we ask you to leave after we sing the first verse.